Welcome to the Gingsberg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsberg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsberg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Hey, good morning, church family. Good morning. Good to be back with you. Today is the fourth Sunday of our current summer series, Campfire Stories. Several months ago, I laid out these messages that God gave me, and at the time, I thought, in hearing these great Old Testament stories, the first time that the masses learned them, they did not learn them through the written text. Most of them could not read, and the availability of the text was not to them, and so they were given these stories from fathers and mothers to sons and daughters around the campfire. And so we've been having a little fun throughout the summer. We've been telling some of these great Old Testament stories through the oral tradition. Today's message is the great story of Deborah. It's found in the book of Judges, Judges chapters four and five. Most of the story is found in chapter four. And then the song of Deborah, the poem of Deborah is found in chapter five. So I encourage you to make sure that you read the entire story today, perhaps after this message, after lunch today. I simply want to tell it to you in the oral tradition, okay? So as all good stories begin, I begin with these words, long ago and far, far away. Do you like that so far? <laughs> in an ancient land, a distant yesterday, the rumble of thunder roars down a long valley as it echoes off the hills of ancient Israel. Picture in your mind with me tremendous dark clouds that begin to roll and pow up down alongside the Kishon River. Periodically, bright flashes of light streak across the sky as an ancient storm is sweeping down from the north upon the nation of Israel. But the rumble of thunder is not caused by the movement of air currents. 900 chariots, the greatest armada of war machines the world had seen this day, were rumbling south towards the heart of the nation of Israel. The clouds that were being formed down alongside the Kishon River in the Megiddo Valley were not clouds consisting of vapor and moisture, but were clouds of dust being billed up by soldiers, shod in the sandals of war, coming south with one thought in mind, to leave Israel a wasteland. The streak of light across the sky was not an ancient lightning. Instead, it was the glint of sword and spear and bow point as this great army from the north was coming south. Judgment, judgment was about to fall upon the nation of Israel. For some time now, the Israeli general barracks intelligence had reported that death loomed on the horizon, that Sisera, the great Canaanite general who served 20 years under King Jabin of Hazar was on their doorstep. He was known as the Darth Vader of the ancient world. Friends, you want a dramatic story. This is drama right here. <laughs> 
and great Jewish folklore rose up about Sisera. We know that because there's also legends around Sisera outside of Scripture. Now, we, of course, apply the truth of Scripture, but still we read of other sources that talk about Sisera. And these stories would grow and grow as people would tell them around campfires. You know how stories can get bigger and bigger and bigger, or like fish stories that get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's said of Sisera that his shout was so fierce it could knock down entire city walls and freeze the wildest beast in fear. It's said of Sisera's chariot, it was so grand that it took 900 horses to pull that thing. Now, that's a lot of horsepower, right? Now, can you imagine being a young uh, Israelite soldier hearing about this Darth Vader that's coming south and hearing some of these stories that continue to grow and grow and grow. And, you know, he would, they would, how scared they would be. Some of you are old enough to remember the old hefty trash bag commercial where these trash bags would come in a line and they'd go up into a room, hefty, hefty, hefty. And the little <laughs> wimpy trash bags would go, wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Anybody remember that or is this me? Here's Sisera coming on the scene. Hefty, hefty, hefty. And the Israelites, wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. At least I know you're awake this morning. And the people, when they heard the name of Sisera, they trembled in fear. And that's why it took a mighty woman to do the job in taking him down. Her name was Deborah, and she was one of the judges of Israel. Now, let me give you a little background by the time we get to the book of Judges. The judges were known as Israel's wild west days because they lived in an untamed time when it seemed like whoever was the strongest hand got the authority. But this was a time after that God had delivered the people out of the land of bondage, out of the land of Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea under the leading of Charles and Heston, I mean Moses, And they made their way in the wilderness. But they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their faithlessness, church. And I'll preach on that some other time. But after the end of 40 years, they were led up to the east side of the River Jordan where Moses died on Mount Nebo. And a new dreamer took them across the Jordan River in Joshua. This is called in biblical history the conquest. But Israel, like us, had a fatal attraction to sin. And so God rose up judges. Judges were the legal, moral, and spiritual authority of the nation. People like Samuel and Samson and Ehud and Gideon. We'll look at him in a couple weeks. And of course, Deborah. Deborah was unique. Why? Because Deborah was a woman. I've said this before from the stage In ancient days, women, not just in Judaism, but all throughout the ancient Near Eastern culture, were at best second-class citizens and were slaves and property of their fathers or husbands. But when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus, he elevated women to a rule and status of true personhood that now we as the church believe, as the scripture conveys in Galatians that in Christ Jesus, there's no longer slave nor free. There's no longer male or female. There's no longer Greek or Jew, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. But here in this moment, Israel in ancient days got a glimpse 
of God's true heart that as the Bible says, man looks on the outward appearance, but where does God look? On the heart. And so one day, Deborah goes to her general and says that Darth Vader is coming near us. We should engage him in battle. Now, Barak, he was probably like a lot of great leaders of his day. He probably... uh, was strong in some ways, but he might have struggled with what a lot of men struggle with, and that's ego. Do you know how to spell ego? E-G-O. What does that mean? Edging God out. We need to be edging God in, friends, not edging God out. And he, she went to him, and she said, you need to engage, and, and he said, I will only go into battle and engage Sisera if you go with me. She said, I'll go with you. But if I go with you, the glory will not be given to you. The glory will not be given to a man, but will be given to a woman. He trusted her enough because he could see the anointing of God on her. And so you need to know in the world's eyes, this was mission impossible. Greater than any mission of Tom Cruise, okay? When the world would look at this, they would say mission impossible, that the Israelites had a chance. Because the Bible says at the beginning of chapter four that Sisera had 900 chariots. But these were not ordinary chariots. They were even says ironclad chariots. This was the latest in military hardware. It was mission impossible. I mean, for the Israelites on paper, this would be like squirt guns going up against machine guns. This was like hot air balloons going up against F-15s. This was like bows and arrows going up against guided missiles. That's supposed to be funny. They didn't laugh in the first service either. Come on, lighten up a little bit. This is a story I'm telling you. That's a true story. That's a story. This was mission impossible. We will see it was mission impossible for the Canaanites, because we know that with God, all things are possible. Now, they ruled into this plain called Megiddo. It's a large uh, valley, the Jezreel Valley, just south of Nazareth, south of the Sea of Galilee. Centuries later, the great Napoleon stood on a mountain overlooking Megiddo, and he said, all the armies of the world could fight here. Of course, it's the Valley of Megiddo that we get the term later, um, Armageddon, right? But that's for another story. And so Sisera rolled his mighty advantage onto the battlefield. Chapter 4 doesn't say much about how they got the victory, but chapter 5 gives us the clue in the Song of Deborah that in a very strategic moment, God through a miraculous work, opened up the skies and brought a huge thunderstorm and rain upon the field. This muddied the field, and you guessed it, the chariot wheels got stuck in the mud. (laughs) This confused the Canaanites and neutralized their advantage and rallied the Israelites, and they took the victory. The Bible says only one person escaped, and you guessed it, it was Sisera. And he made his way to the east, to the River Jordan, and he came upon a Bedouin community. And there was a woman there by the name of Jael. Now, she was the symbol in that culture of weakness. 
Here's the great general, Sisera, the symbol of power. And so immediately, because he's a man, she's a woman, he's a leader, she's just a Bedouin woman, he started giving her orders. He says, hide me, get me something to drink, stand by the tent flap, the door, and watch to make sure no one comes. And feeling all smug and secure, he fell asleep. And here's the poetic justice. When he was sleeping, she took a peg and a mallet, the Bible says, and she drove that through his temple. And as Deborah foretold, the downfall, the glory of mighty Sisera was not given to a man, but given to a woman. You say, wow, boy, that was a pretty heavy message, Pastor. Way to depress us on a summer Sunday in the Miami Valley today. What's the moral of that message? Okay. Is it, be careful, men, where you fall asleep? No. (laughs) Is it, never underestimate the power of a person? No. It's when the world says, mission impossible. God just laughs. I hold the universe in my hand. All things are possible. What is that impossible thing that looms over your life? Is it an illness? Is it a disease? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? What is the world saying mission impossible? There are some things that can be done through human achievement, through acts of hard work. We know that. I just uh, got back from vacation. Thank you for your prayers. It was one of those where it was a phenomenal experience, but I need a vacation from the vacation. I'm so exhausted, <laughs> but I'm working. That's not, that's not an excuse. But as I rode solo to Newfoundland and back in 14 days and, and uh, someone said, that was impossible. I said, no, what it really just shows is that your pastor can sit on a motorcycle for a long amount of time and has an iron butt. That's basically what it amounts to. <laughs> I mean, What I'm saying is some things can just be done through hard work. Some things can be done through determination. Some things can be done just through human effort. But there are other things in life that cannot be done. There's no explanation for. Only by the hand of God. What is that for you? Let me tell you a story. And I'm going to come over here and get the story about a pastor, a professor who came to this church and preached from the stage. The last time he was here was in 2014. Some of you know of him. His name is Tony Campalo. How many remember when he was here in 2014? He's a well-known sociologist professor, now retired from Eastern College in Philadelphia. So he's been a friend of this church. But he tells in one of his books this true story that I believe I've been told he did not tell here, but it's an amazing story of only God can do. Okay, I think you'll enjoy this. He writes this. There's a Pentecostal college near Eastern College where I teach. I'm not a Pentecostal, but I talk so fast that they think I'm speaking in tongues so it works out okay. (laughs) One day, they invited me to speak at their chapel service. I like speaking there because they're dynamic, happy people. Just before I spoke, eight guys took me in the back room and got me down on my knees. Then they laid their hands on my head and they prayed for me. 
That was good. I need all the prayer that I can get. Only one problem. These guys prayed for a very long time. And that's usually okay, but the longer they prayed, the more tired they got, and the more tired they got, the more they leaned on my head. And I want to tell you, when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel so good. One guy was even praying for me. Instead, he went on and on and on, praying for someone named Charlie Sulfus. Dear Lord, he shouted, you know Charlie Sulfus. He lives in the silver trailer down at the end of the road about a mile. You know the trailer, just down the road on the right-hand side. I felt like saying, knock it off, fellow. What do you think God is saying up there? What's his address again? Tell me. Anyway, he went on and on. Lord Charlie told me this morning he's decided to leave his wife and his three kids, walk out on his family. Lord, step in, do something, bring that family back together. So I'm asking myself, when's this guy going to knock it off so I can get these preachers off my head? But he kept going on and on and on about Charlie Sulfus, leaving his wife and kids, living in that silver trailer a mile down the road on the right-hand side. Finally, all the prayers were over. I got in the pulpit and I preached. And after I finished, I got into my car, drove down the Pennsylvania Turnpike and headed for home. As I drove onto the Turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. Now, I know that you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher. And whenever I can get anyone locked in a captive audience, I do it. (laughs) So I stopped and I picked him up. We drove for a few minutes and I said, hi, my name is Tony Campolo. What's your name? He said, my name is Charlie Sofus. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a bit uneasy with that. After a few minutes, he said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked why. I said, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? That blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off me. Can you see that? I drove right off the turnpike at the next exit. Then I really did him in as I drove right up to the silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how did you ever know that I live here? I said, God told me. (laughs) He said, I believe God did tell me, actually, through those preachers. When we got out of the car, I ordered him to get into that trailer. Half shaking, he answered, right, mister, sure, anything, I'm going. When He opened the trailer door. His wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with real authority, now you two sit down. I'm going to talk, and you're going to listen. And man, did they listen. I was like E.F. Hutton. (laughs) And then he says this as he closes the story. It's amazing. That afternoon, Charlie Sulfus and his wife both decided to become followers of Jesus Christ. They humbled themselves and committed to work on their marriage. Today, Charlie is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, when the world says to you, mission impossible, all Jesus said, all things are possible. You believe, 
If you say, I'm just like Deborah in the culture, I'm a nobody, little old me. God says, I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for your life. I got bigger things than you can dream or even think up or imagine. You're not a nobody, you're a somebody. You might be thinking, I can't do anything. I'm here to say, Philippians chapter four, verse 13, I can do all things through the Christ who gives me strength. Be encouraged when you read a story like Deborah because it reminds us with God, all things are possible. My friends, do you believe that today? Will you receive that today? In Jesus' name, may it be so. Lord, I thank you that we gather on our own plane in Megiddo where all of history comes into being. We thank you, Lord, that whatever the world has said about our lives, you speak over us. Goodness, mercy, purpose. And I pray that whatever storm some of us are facing, whether it be cancer, whether it be illness, whether it be where the doctors have given up, whether it be in your job situation, Lord, I pray today that we'll hear your mighty voice speak to us. Rain down your renewal today and your miracles from heaven. For this we pray and this we believe and all God's people said, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.